I came across an interesting article the other day that was talking about some of the words that you and I use in our everyday language, and we think we know what they mean, but they, they mean something different than what they used to mean now. You know, they, they meant something before that they, than they do now. Uh, for instance, the word naughty. In the 1300s, naughty people were actually those who had naught. They had nothing. And so to be a naughty person was to be someone who was poor, someone who was in need. Uh, By the 1400s, the meaning shifted from having nothing to being worth nothing, and even was taken as far as to being being morally wicked or morally bad. Now it's kind of taken on a gentler meaning, especially when it comes to children. Uh, Mischievous, disobedient, you know, kind of ill-behaved, that kind of idea when you think about naughty, but it's changed Uh, over the years. So that's naughty. How about the word nice? Uh, A few centuries ago, if a man were to call a woman nice, he probably would get slapped in the face uh, because nice meant actually to be ignorant at one point when the word was first used. Um, Then it evolved to mean foolish or silly. Then it went all over the place and it meant seemingly unrelated things like showy and ostentatious elegant and refined. I don't know how you can mean those two things at the same time. It also meant cowardly, unmanly, effeminate, slothful, lazy, sluggish, not obvious, difficult to decide, intricate. All those were things that the word nice meant. Uh, By the 19 or 1500s, nice came to mean meticulous, attentive, sharp, or making precise distinctions. It wasn't until the 18th century that it acquired its current meaning, which is agreeable or pleasant or satisfactory. How about the word pretty? In Old English, pretty meant crafty or cunning. Later, it took on a more positive connotation, meaning clever, skillful, or able. It wasn't until the 1400s that it came to its present meaning, good-looking or attractive. So maybe you think twice before you call someone pretty and nice the next time. Uh, Here's another one, the word cute. We use that to describe little babies like little Luke over here or little bitty kiddos, but the original word was actually a shortening of the word acute, meaning sharp or quick-witted. Wasn't until the 1830s that it took on a new significance and came to mean pretty or attractive or charming, although We still sometimes use it in its original meaning when we use phrases like, don't get cute with me, right? Meaning clever, don't get clever, Uh, you're trying to be clever. How about the word egregious? Now, egregious means something outstandingly bad or shocking, but would you be shocked to know that it meant originally remarkably good? Egregious was something that was remarkably good. It actually comes from two Latin words meaning illustrious or select. Literally, it means to stand out from the flock. So now we use it ironically. I guess it came to mean that way, ironically. We use it in an egregiously bad. You stand out from the flock in a bad way, but originally it meant something uh, good. And then lastly, the word awful. Have you ever wondered why awesome and awful mean completely different things, and yet both of them have a root of being awe or being in awe? Um, From its original reference in Old English, awe meant fear, terror, or dread. Then from its reference to God, the word came to mean reverential 
or respectful fear by the mid-1700s. Awe came to mean solemn and reverential wonder, tinged with a little bit of fear, especially when it came to uh, the sublime in nature, as in a thunderstorm or just a storm at sea. And so originally, awful and awesome were synonymous in meaning. Awful ended up taking on the negative connotations. Awesome ended up taking on the positive connotations and the rest is history. So the next time someone calls you egregiously awful, maybe you can take it as a compliment. I say all that to say that there are some words that we use that we may think we know the meaning of them, but maybe we don't have the full picture. Maybe we don't fully understand all that goes along with those words. And I find this especially true for those of us who have maybe grown, in, grown up in church, whatever background, that religious background that may have been, who have grown up in church and we've heard certain words and we've heard certain phrases and we've heard certain terms thrown around our whole lives, but maybe we don't fully understand what it is that they actually mean and all that they entail. We've been in the midst of a series entitled, What's in Him for Me? In which we've been walking through the Apostle Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, where he gives us some foundational blessings that you and I have in Christ. When we are in a relationship with Jesus Christ, these are some of the blessings that we experience. And along the way, we've run across some words that describe these blessings, that represent these blessings. Words that many of us, if you've grown up in a church background, have probably heard before in some context or another. We've, we've heard words like chosen and adopted and redeemed and forgiven. Many of us have heard these words our entire lives but my hope is that as we've unpacked these words and as we've walked through these blessings, that maybe they come to mean something just a little bit more, that we have a fuller understanding of what they truly mean for our lives. And today we arrive at the sixth blessing, and it, it involves a word that you and I have probably heard before. In fact, it's a word we've already talked about in this series, and it is the word predestined. So turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 1. We'll pick up in verses 11 and 12. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11-12. Paul writes, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. The sixth blessing here is the blessing of being predestined for the praise of his glory. Now what in the world does that mean, to be predestined for the praise of his glory? Well, as I said just a while ago, we spent some time earlier in this series talking about this word predestined. It was actually in the second lesson of this series entitled Purposefully Chosen. If you haven't listened to that message, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that because I'm, gonna, I'm not going to talk about everything that we talked about, and that kind of sets a lot of the groundwork for some of that understanding of that word predestined. You don't have to do it now. You can do it later. Um, but, but I am going to at least talk about some of the things that we talked about, or at least frame some of the, the groundwork, maybe in a different way, but in a, in a similar way that I talked about uh, in that lesson. Because that word predestined really is a loaded word in a lot of ways in religious circles. So let me just give you a visual to think about this. Imagine that Jesus is a boat, okay? 
that, that Jesus is a, a boat. And so our theme in this series has been what's in him for me. Key words being what's in him, right? Being in him, in Christ. And so Jesus is the boat and, and being in him, being in Christ, when you step into Christ and you become a part of Christ, you are stepping in to certain blessings that only come in Christ. And we've been walking through some of these blessings in this series that when I step into Christ, I find that there are blessings in him, blessings in this boat that aren't found, found anywhere else. You, you, you can't find them anywhere else except in Jesus Christ. The, there is the blessing of being chosen. There's the blessing of being adopted. There's the blessing of being forgiven. There's a blessing of being redeemed. There's a blessing of, of seeing the big picture like we talked about in the last lesson, of, of waking up to and understanding God's grand purpose for, for all that we see and for uh, even more that we don't see, that he's in the midst of bringing everything under the authority and under the rulership, under the feet of Jesus. Christ. And so when you step into the boat, when you step into Jesus Christ, you are stepping into these realities. And one of those realities that you're stepping into is the blessing of being predestined. That you are predestined because you are stepping into the reality of Jesus Christ. It's not that God has this person set for this and this person set for this, but you are stepping into the reality of being predestined when you step into the reality of being in Christ. You are stepping into something and someone that's been predestined since before the beginning of time. That God had a plan, he had a purpose since before the creation of the world that those who were in Christ would have certain realities. And when you step into him, you experience those realities. You experience this idea of being predestined for the praise of his glory. I'm stepping into something that God is up to and I'm willingly joining him in it and I'm swept up in becoming a part of it. Now, the reason I use the boat is just to kind of give us an image and here's the reality. We all have to travel the same seas in life. None of us are immune from experiencing the seas that all of us have to experience. We all travel the seas of adversity. We all travel the seas of, of difficulty. We all travel the seas of good things happening in our lives. We all travel the seas of, of tragic and bad things happening in our, in our lives. We all travel the seas of, of mysterious things and not understanding why things are happening. Every human being has to travel the same open seas in life. But here's the question. How are you going to travel those seas? Because how you travel them makes all the difference. It makes a difference whether you're in the boat or you're outside the boat. And there are certain blessings in Christ that help you weather the seas. Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33, that in this world you will have trouble. It's not an if, it's a, it's a fact of life. In this world, you will experience things that you don't like, that are troublesome, that are adver adver adversarial, that are, that are struggling, that are difficult you're going to face those things. Now he goes on to say that, that I have overcome the world. You can take heart because I've overcome the world. But the reality is that when you are in Christ, you are not immune to the things of this world. It doesn't absolve you from having to deal with the seas of life, but it does put you in a position to weather the open seas in a different way. And so the question for us this morning is, what difference does it make when I come to realize that I'm predestined for the praise of God's glory. Well, you've heard me say throughout this series that when Paul writes this letter, he is in prison. 
Okay, so, so Paul's in prison when he pens the words of this letter. And, and, and that's important because it frames a lot of, of, of thinking as to, you know, understanding why he writes the way he does. And so he's in prison, and yet he's full of praise, particularly in this section of Ephesians chapter 1. And one of the reasons is right here in these verses that we've just looked at, because he knows that even though he's in chains, he's still in Christ. And one of the things that means is that he's predestined for the praise of God's glory. He knows that because he's in Christ, that he's in on something, and that something is that he's predestined for the praise of God's glory. Now, we're going to dive into that idea in just a moment, but let me tell you first why I think that's important for Paul and for the people that he's writing to. Because in the ancient world, one of the thoughts that they had, particularly when it involved how things happened or why things happened in the world that they live in, is that most people in the ancient world, not necessarily Christians, but most people in the ancient world believed that humans and life on earth was just an afterthought to the gods. That the things that happened on earth below were just an afterthought to the gods. The gods had their own world up there in, in the heavens above. And whether it was something good that happened or something bad that happened, it didn't matter. It was all just a ripple of, I mean, it did matter, but it, it was all just a ripple effect of what was going on and happening with the gods above. And so the common belief was that you were just, life below is just left up to the fate of the gods and the capriciousness of the gods. We have no control. We, it doesn't matter what we do, you know, whether, you know, how we live. It's just, it's all up to the capriciousness and the fate of the gods. Now, that didn't stop people from building temples. It didn't stop people from worshiping the gods. That was still going on, still plenty of temples, still plenty of, of God worshiping, not, not big God, not big G, but little g, um, worshiping of the gods, especially here uh, or there in Ephesus. But they were all ways of just trying to get the attention of the gods up there or to appease the gods, to, to show the, have them show favor on them. They're all ways of, of just trying to figure out, how do I get the gods on the good side? How do I get the gods on my side so that I can have more wealth, more prominence, more, more success, more health? But at the end of the day, the predominant idea was that we're just an afterthought to the gods. And so here Paul is in prison. And, and even you, you think about some of this thinking today. We, we, we still think of, of fate and, and, and things that being at the mercy of, of, of certain destinies, right? And we use those big words and we don't even fully know what they mean. But in, in, in Paul's day and age, they especially did that. But even in our day and age, we, we think this way. Paul is in prison. And, and on some levels, they would think and we would think that fate has dealt him a bad hand, right? Poor Paul. Fate has dealt him a bad hand, and yet Paul is completely wrapped up in an awareness of the hand of God in his life. He, he's anything, he knows he's anything but, but a, an afterthought to God. That, that God deeply cares about him, that he deeply cares about people on earth. He knows that life on earth is not just an afterthought to God, and he knows it because of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus came into this world, because God became flesh, and Jesus, his life, his teaching, his death, his resurrection, his spirit, all of those things changed everything for Paul. He knows that God deeply cares about him and about every human being so deeply that he actually has a destiny for us, that we are predestined for the praise of his glory. And that word predestined, again, it's a, it's a big word and it's also not that big. We kind of make it bigger than it is. But literally, it means to mark out with a boundary beforehand. 
to mark out with a boundary beforehand. And so in Christ, we've been marked out with boundaries. When, when you are in Christ, here's the boundaries. You step into these realities. You step into this, this boundary of what God has predestined since the creation of the world, that this is what we would look like. And one of those boundaries, the biggest boundary, is that we would be predestined for the praise of his glory. Note, Paul does not say that you are predestined for life to be safe. You are not predestined to be rich. You are not predestined to have health go your way. You are not predestined to be safe or comfortable or for life to go smoothly. That's not what the boundaries are about. And yet a lot of times when we're praying for those things, just think about, and I was talking with somebody the other day, we, we were talking about, how, you know, when, when our kids go through certain things and our kids experience things, what do we pray for? God, keep them safe. God, bring healing. God, and I'm not saying those are bad things, but those are usually what our idea of the boundaries are. Instead of asking God to bring courage, to bring strength, to bring the ability to deal with those things for the praise of his glory, because that's the boundary that God sets. Not the boundaries of our safety, not the boundaries of our prominence, not the boundaries of our wealth, not for everything to go smoothly and go the way that we want it to, but the boundaries that Paul says God marks out for us beforehand are for us being for the sake of, of the praise of his glory. So what does it mean to be for the praise of his glory? I know we're talking about some big ideas. What, what does it mean to be for the praise of God's glory? Let's just break it down, those two words. Let's break down those two words, praise and, and glory. The word praise means to speak well of, to speak favorably of. So if I'm praising you, I'm, I'm speaking well of you. I'm speaking favorably of you. The word glory refers to something that is manifest or something that is visible or something that is made known. And so God's glory is when something of God is evident, when something of God is made known, when something of God is seen. And part of what Paul is saying here is that you and I are predestined for the purpose of living our lives in such a way that the glory of God is seen and then spoken well of because of our lives. That when people look at our lives, they see God, they see the difference he's made, and they speak well of God because of the difference that he's made in our lives. That when people see our lives, their attention is directed to God and they speak well of him because of something of the glory of God is seen in our lives and it evokes praise. Not praise of us, but ultimately praise of God. Take it a little bit further. If I were to ask you who is the, the ultimate representation of God's glory, who, in who is God most clearly seen and who is God most clearly visible? Well, the answer would be Jesus, right? Jesus is the clearest representation of the glory of God. He, he's God made visible. He's God made known. I, I love what the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. The sun is the radiance of, the God, of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. So think about these words again, that we might be for the praise of God's glory. Another way you can think about it is that we might be for the praise of Jesus because God's glory is Jesus. And I think that's, this has something to say about what Paul says just a couple of verses earlier in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, which we covered last lesson, by the way, if you weren't here a couple weeks ago. But God's ultimate will, God's ultimate purpose is to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. That's what God is up to. That his purpose is to bring everything under God's or under Jesus's authority. And so when we are for the praise of his glory, 
When we are for the praise of Jesus, we are directing people to the very person that God is bringing everything under. We are bringing everything under Jesus and directing people in his direction. We're playing a very big role in the big mission of God. It's also interesting to see how that phrase comes up over and over again in this section of Ephesians chapter 1. It comes up three different times in these 11 or 12 verses. It comes up in verses 5 and 6 where Paul writes that we were predestined for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ to the praise of his glorious grace comes up the second time here in verses 11, 12, which we're looking at today, where Paul says that we might be for the praise of his glory. And it comes up a third time in verses 13 and 14, which we'll look at next week, where Paul says that you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So it's interesting when you look at those, there's a lot of, of things that you can draw out of, but it's interesting when you see those three ways that that phrase is used here in this passage, it really marks out a a beautiful picture of past, present, and future. In verses five and six, Paul is talking about how our our past, the story of our adoption, how God redeemed us. He, He brought us out of the slavery of sin and he redeemed us. He bought our forgiveness. He bought our redemption. He made us his chosen sons and daughters. He adopted us into his family. He, 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 you know, you think about this, an example of this might be for the praise of his glory, that when people see what your life was like before Christ, and then they see what God has done in your life now, that they give him praise and they give him glory. And in verses 11 and 12, which we're looking at today, that, that talks about how you're living right now. The idea here is that how you're living right now paints a picture, it points people back to Jesus, or at least it ought to. When people see your life, they ought to say, man, that's, that's something that, that is not really capable outside of, of the Spirit of God working in this person's life. This is supernatural. How, how do they forgive this way? How do they live this way? And it points people back to God. And then verses 13 and 14 has to do with our future. Paul's talking about when Jesus returns and, and will finally and fully be redeemed because of, of, of what God is doing and his fu- the fulfillment of his ultimate work, body, mind, soul. I like what Paul says later in Colossians chapter 3, verse 4. He says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That there's something of your life right now that's hidden that'll be made known when Christ comes again. Or John says it this way in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but, when we, know that when, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. is. There will come a day when Christ will return, and you will look like Jesus. And that'll be for the praise of his glory. That you will be fully redeemed and fully glorified, not quite like Jesus is, but in a similar way. And that will be to the praise of God's glory. The point is our past, our present, our future, it's all for the praise of God's glory. And Paul is locked in on this. He's not where he wants to be. If you were in prison, you would not be, want to be there, right? He's not where he wants to be, but he knows that, that he, he has this un, unwavering conviction that he will be for the praise of God's glory, that God's going to make it work out all in the end. That's not in jeopardy. The boundaries have been set. He's predestined 
for the praise of God's glory. And he knows that God's going to work it out in conformity with the purpose of his will. He knows that God is working everything out, even right now, even in the midst of him being in prison, even while he's in chains, that God is going to work it out for the praise of his glory. So with that in mind, let me just give you three what I hope to be practical applications for what it means to be predestined for the praise of his glory. And the first is this. Predestined for the praise of his glory is about God's love, not his ego. Predestined for the praise of God's glory is about his love, not his ego. There there are some people who will look at Christianity and they'll look at the way God is portrayed in Scripture and they'll say, isn't God just all out for all the praise and glory himself? You know, isn't God just kind of wrapped up in himself? Isn't it a little bit egocentric the way God wants us to just bow down and, and, and all the focus is on him? And, 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 and I understand where they're coming from, but they don't see the full picture. You know, here's one of the reasons why that's, that's not the case. God wants to save people and he wants to bring them to holiness. But that involves getting people's attention focused on him and what he's done in Christ. How else do you get people to see what you're doing unless you bring the attention back on yourself? The reason God wants to be glorified, the reason God wants to be made known is so that he can shine the light into the darkness of sin. This little light of mine, like we just got through singing, God's light is much bigger than ours, and he wants to shine that light into the darkness of sin and bring people into the light and the life of his son, Jesus Christ. And speaking of his son, Jesus Christ, anybody who would say that God is on an ego trip isn't taking the cross very seriously. Because who is it that went to the cross and took on the the shame of our sin and the shame uh, of the sin of the entire world? None other than Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, right? Somebody out of an ego trip doesn't go to the cross. Somebody on an ego trip doesn't doesn't take, go to those links. He came to this earth, left the throne room of heaven, much less. Then he went to the cross. Only someone out of love does that, not not somebody out out of an ego trip. And so predestined for the praise of his glory isn't about God's ego. It's about his love. Secondly, being predestined for the praise of his glory means that while he doesn't cause it all, he does work out of it all. Now, I know this is a big idea, and, and I'm not going to even attempt to try and cover all of it this morning, but, but I, I, who, I do hope to at least maybe lay some groundwork and just get some ideas in, in our minds. Paul doesn't, Paul doesn't say that God calls it, causes it all, but he does say that Paul works out of, or God works out of everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we might be for the praise of his glory. So think about this. There's a lot of different ways. I'm trying to frame my, my mind around it and get you to maybe frame your mind around it. Think of your life like a timeline, okay? And so on this timeline, you've got all these marks of, of events in your life. You know, you, you look at from the, your birth to where you are now, all these marks on the timeline of your life. And there are really incredibly good events, right, that, that mark the the, the times in, in your timeline. Maybe for, for you, it's like the time you met your wife or when you got married, your husband, if you're a woman, um, it, the time you got married, the, the time your kids were born. But all of these significantly wonderful events in your life, mark them on your timeline. And then you've got some, some significantly bad events, right? Maybe it's the, the loss of a spouse. Maybe it's the loss of a child or of a parent 
or of a, a, a dear friend or a, a family member, a loved one. Maybe it's the diagnosis that you received. Maybe it's the loss of a job. I mean, whatever it may be, some other tragic event in your life. And so we've got all these marks on our timeline, whether they are significantly good or they are significantly bad. And some of us are preoccupied with all the marks in our past, right? And, and we look back and we think all of these marks and, 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 and these are the marks that define us. And some of us are preoccupied with all the marks that we hope to have in our future. And we're, we're so preoccupied with that that we can't even live in the present. Some people live in the past. Some people live in the future. And, and, and they fail to live in, in the present. And, and, and my encouragement to you is to not lose sight in the midst of all the marks, to not lose sight of the ark of God's overarching plan in the midst of it all. No matter what's going on, no matter how significant those marks may be in your life, either significantly good or significantly horrible, that we remember that God is working out of it all that we might be for the praise of his glory. After all, if you want to talk about significantly horrible events, look at the cross. And yet look what God did out of the cross. I, I don't know, I don't understand, that's why I say it's a big idea. I don't understand what God does and does not cause. I know he does not cause every single tragic event that happens in your life. God does not cause that. He does not, that's not his desire. But I do know that he works out of it all. I do know that he works out of it all, but the purpose for working, it out of it, working out of it all is to bring everything under the feet of Jesus and to bring your life into the framework of for the, being for the praise of his glory. And I just want to encourage you in the midst of a mark that you may be in right now or all the marks in your past or maybe the thoughts of marks in your future, don't forget the ark of what God is doing in the midst of all those marks. And then third and finally, predestined for the praise of God's glory. This is good news. But it's only good news if we value the praise of his glory above all. You see, we can talk about this all day long, and it's really good news, but it's only really good news if you value the praise of his glory above everything else in your life. Because if you don't, if you, if you and I don't value the praise of his glory above everything else, this is not good news. If I value comfort and safety and wealth or whatever it may be over the praise of his glory, if those things are my priority, if those things are what gains my focus and my attention and my resources and my time and my energy, if those things take number one in my life, this is not good news. Because God is not marking out the boundaries in your life or my life if we are Christians for you to do whatever is healthy or, you know, uh, to make you successful or to make you safe or to make you comfortable. He's marking out the boundaries in your life for the praise of his glory. And here's the deal. If I'm trying to work everything out for my glory, everything out in my life for the praise of my glory, then I'm swimming upstream against a divine current. It's not going to work too well. I love what preacher Rick Ashley says. I just think this is, is so profound and yet so simple. He says, your unsurrendered agenda will not keep God from accomplishing his agenda. Okay, let me say that again. Your unsurrendered agenda will not keep God from accomplishing his agenda. Whether you submit to his agenda or not is not going to keep God from, from accomplishing his overarching agenda. But it will keep you from experiencing his joy. 
God's still going to work it out. But in the midst of it all, it will keep you from experiencing the joy that he has designed and destined and predestined for your life when you are in Christ. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God is the standard. His glory is the standard. And yet because of sin, we've all fallen short of that. And yet it was God's grace while we were still sinners that brought salvation and redemption and forgiveness from our sins. You know, it's interesting that word glory is the Greek word doxa. Sometimes we sing the word, the song, the doxology, you know, praise, glory. That word doxa means glory like we would think of it, honor, majesty, renown, magnificent, magnificent. But the word doxa can also mean something a little bit different. It can also be translated as perspective or opinion. And so just think about this for a moment. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul is giving us all of these blessings that God has given us in Christ. And this is God's perspective. This is God's plan. This is God's work. This is his purpose that is being lavishly poured out on you and me. And Paul says that it's all for the praise of his glory. It's all for the praise of his opinion, of his thoughts on the matter, of his perspective. The blessings that you and I experience in Jesus is God's master plan and purpose. You see, God has decided since before the foundations of the world, according to his good pleasure, the good pleasure of his will, that these blessings that he's brought into our lives through Christ, that it would turn and produce praise and glory to and for him. Because let me tell you, if we caught his perspective— if we caught his opinion on our identity in Christ, of who we are in Christ, that we are his chosen, we are his adopted sons and daughters, that we've been forgiven, that we've been redeemed, if we were to truly catch his opinion and his perspective on that, we couldn't help but praise him. Maybe part of the problem is we haven't truly captured his opinion on that. In other words, the whole point of the blessings is to point us back to the blesser. To point us back to God and to point others to God by the way we live in light of those blessings. So let me ask you a question. What motivates you? Why do you get up in the morning? What do you value? Why do you do the things that you do? What are you passionate about? Because here's the deal. If you are a Christian, everything in the Christian life centers around one singular purpose. It doesn't mean you can't have other things that you enjoy doing. It doesn't mean that you can't have other passions. It doesn't mean you can't have other likes. But everything in the Christian life centers around one singular purpose, that you would be to the praise of his glory. That's it. That your life would be to the praise of his glory. Now let me ask you a question again, another question. Does your life reflect that? If someone were to look at your life, would the first thing they say is their life is for the praise of God's glory? Or would they say something else? Would they say your life is for the praise of your job? For the praise of your family? For the praise of your name being recognized? For the praise of fill in the blank? Or does the world see your life and see God in your life? 
Does your life reflect the heart, the, the attitude, the nature of Jesus Christ? Can the world see the blessings of God in your life so much so that when they see your life, they can't help but see the blesser? And they in turn give him the praise and the glory. Because that's exactly what you were predestined as his sons and his daughters, chosen, adopted, redeemed, and forgiven. That's exactly what you were predestined to do. Many of you have different thoughts. Many of you have different, you know, things that you were involved in, and those are all good pursuits. But if your pursuit is not first and foremost Jesus Christ and living to the praise of his glory, then you're not stepping into the predestined idea and reality that God has in store for you because you were predestined for the praise of his glory.